Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Magandang umaga, uh, aloha, uh, buenos dias, yeah. and uh, I, I can't remember what, how, how you say that in Korea. Um, well, good morning everybody, and uh, I, uh, thank you Phil, uh, I love you so much. Um, so you're making me more nervous now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so uh, we are in this series uh, in this hot summer uh, called uh, the Summer in the Psalms. And to reiterate what uh, Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger has been saying, our mission <clears throat> for the entire summer is to immerse us all in the Psalms, um, the purpose of which is number one, so we can pray. Yeah. Yeah. It's really not difficult to learn how to pray. You can listen to someone pray right. and imitate how that person prays. You can read or listen to a devotional and follow that prayer. Uh, you probably have learned to pray because your parents have recited some sort of prayer and you've adapted that uh, prayer. Of course, we would like to learn how to pray, but the goal for this summer series is for us to pray, Amen. like execute it, like right. do it, yeah? Because yeah? some of you don't really pray. <clears throat> well, not just to pray, um, not just to pray superficially, but Prayers that come from deep within our soul. From deep areas where we need the Spirit of God um, to pray. Uh, to help us in our weakness. Because these are the areas where we really do not know what we ought to pray for. Because perhaps there are no words. Only groans. Only painful uh, moans and tears. So that is one purpose uh, why we want to immerse us all in, in, in the Psalms. Uh, and the second uh, purpose is, uh, oh, before that, you know, I, I just wanted to say something that I'm allergic to this pulpit. <laughs> and uh, if, if, you, if you see tears coming down, it's... Uh, it's allergies, okay? It's allergies. Uh, uh, so, so, and the other purpose is we want to equip you uh, as a disciple of Christ to be able to face your most difficult feelings, your most difficult emotions, overwhelming stress, despair, anger, loneliness. The book of Psalms are full of these. Um, not just uh, these emotions, not just uh, celebrations or gladness or peace. We desire you 
and me to be real people with real struggles and real feelings. But more than that, we desire to be people with real, real hope. And the Psalms have a lot of that too. So today, as we look at Psalm 88, uh, this is a dark psalm of lament. I'm ready with my uh, handkerchief. Um, And my hope is that we will be able to go into those deep, dim, subdued moments and spaces in our soul and use the Psalms to pray us out or to sing us out of those situations or perhaps to use the Psalms to sustain us while we are in those moments. I also hope that you will get to know Jesus in a profound way uh, as we find out that he too had those dark moments. So, so let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, our loving Father in heaven, sovereign God, will you please fill our souls with your word today? Illuminate those dark, unseen areas in our lives. Help us to deeply understand who you are. Help us to trust in your ways. Transform us from within to become more like your son, Jesus. Override my preparations, so Holy Spirit. You speak to us all. We love you. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to ask you something. Um, Do you have a song that you can sing when you're happy? Uh, you, You guys, I'm sure you do. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, and you really want to show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. (laughs) You guys should be in the worship team. (laughs) Do do you have a song that you can sing when you're sad? Uh, When you're lonely, when you're depressed? Um, when you're angry and disappointed uh, or disappointed? Do you have a song that you can sing when you're brokenhearted? Hmm. If you're like me, uh, that would be an easy answer. Come to think of it, no, I don't have a song. And there are sad songs out there, but because perhaps really we don't want to sing, when we're sad, we don't want to sing when we're lonely. We don't want to sing when we're depressed or angry or disappointed. We don't even want to think about it. We want to turn on the radio and go to our playlist and listen to some praise and worship music and some joyful songs to somehow relieve our miseries, right? If you're brokenhearted... Um, for, for example, you and your spouse or you and your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you had this bitter argument and, and you go separate ways. One goes to one room, the other one goes to the other room. And you turn on the radio and Chicago plays. <laughs> if you leave me now, 
You'll take away the very heart of me. Ooh, oh, baby, please don't go. Ooh, girl, I just want you to stay. That's why they kicked me out of the worship team, you know. No, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I'm probably going to feel more depressed at that time, right? Because you're sad and you're lonely and here comes this song. It's, no. See, we are so detached from our humanity. We're so detached from our emotions to the point where we, we now believe that our emotions don't matter. And that we should be rational in our behavior. That everything we do needs to be based on or in accordance to, with, with reason, with logic. I have to be strong because I'm the head of the family. I can't be emotional at that time. I, I'm, I, I have to be strong. I can't afford to break down. I'm a single mom. My, my children need me. I can't just be that. Uh, last week, um, Ophel and I uh, attended our very good friend's wife's um, funeral. The wife uh, passed away. They've been married for 20 plus years. Um, she passed away leaving her husband alone by himself. He was a lively worship leader in our previous church. And he loved his wife dearly. At the funeral service where it was, to be a, it was supposed to be a celebration of life, right? He sang one of the loneliest songs I've heard. He sang Homesick. And that's the title of the song by Mercy Me. And he was sobbing his way to finish that song. The lyrics of that song goes like this. But the reason why I'm broken, the reason why I cry, is how long must I wait to be with you? If home is where my heart is, then I'm out of place. Lord, won't you give me strength to make it through somehow? I've never been more homesick than now. Somebody needs to clean this uh, pulpit. It's, it's uh, terrible, terrible. <clears throat> I found myself not, not, not celebrating the wife's life, but lamenting with him in his loneliness. You know, I believe that each of, each of us needs to have a song of lament. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And if you don't have one, you can certainly use this psalm. Psalm 88. So I'd like to invite you to read with me uh, Psalm 88. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to Psalm 88. And it will be on, on your screen as well. By the way, uh, Psalm 88 has uh, a, a, a sentence before it, it goes. Uh, it's actually a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, can I give you a little background? Yeah. 
uh, of the sons of Korah. Because uh, you'll see in the Psalms that this is written by uh, Asaph. That's written by uh, David. It's a psalm of, and this one is, uh, there's many psalms that are written by the sons of Korah. So, of course, they are obviously the, the descendants of Korah. Now, who is this Korah? Well, he's found in, in Numbers 16. And Korah, together with several men, rebelled against Moses and Aaron. So the Lord God, what he did was he caused the ground to split apart. A huge, huge sinkhole opened. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their household, and all those that are associated with Korah, together with their possessions. This must have been a really big, big uh, sinkhole. And they went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. Then the earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. That was the end of Korah. Now Korah's sons, however were spared. They were probably too young or they didn't know uh, what's going on. But God judged those who turned against him in active rebellion, but he still had the purpose and plan for the sons of Korah. Now, after several successive generations, now during the time of David, they became the great leaders in choral and orchestral music in the tabernacle. But they had this tension. They had very sad memories of the past. But also they have no, they, they know that God has spared them. So with that background in mind, uh, let's read Psalm 88. And scripture reads like this. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do your spirit? Rise, do their spirits rise and rise up and praise you? If you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? In some translation, in the land of forgetfulness. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? 
from my youth. I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me my friends and neighbors. And darkness is my closest friend. When I first read this, and I think if you first read this, I said to myself, this is so depressing. It's, then you think, why in the world is this psalm in the Bible? Right? Well, surprise, more than, half of the, more than half of the psalms are psalms of lament. And this is God's word. So there must be a reason God placed these laments in, in his book. And we'll find out soon. Um, I have entitled this message, Despair to Dependence. Despair to Dependence. And I'd like to share with you three points about this lament. My observations. First, the lament experience. The lament experience. Second, is the rhetorical questions. And then third, the hope in lament. The hope in lament. First point, the lament experience. Observe, right off the bat, verse 1, at the beginning, at the very beginning, the first thing the psalmist does before going down deep into the dark cave of his emotions, he ties a rope around his waist before he rappels down, so to speak. He secures himself in his understanding of God. Lord, you are the God who saves. You are the God who saves me. This is good theology, folks. Good theology is a good understanding of God that brings security. Remember what Pastor Roger uh, uh, mentioned in our sermon two weeks ago. Small God, big problem. Big God, small problem. Amen? And this psalmist apparently has a big God who saves him. Question. When you, we've we've been in this uh, summer series uh, for what, four weeks now? When we pray the psalms, when we sing the psalms, do we just pray? Do we just sing just for the sake of praying or singing? Has it become a ritual? So I can say to myself, I did my obligation, came to church, prayed, sang, listened to the message. I'm good for this week. Why, why, am, I, why am I saying this? Is your, is your God becoming bigger and bigger? Is the gospel becoming clearer and clearer? Are you understanding Jesus, seeing him through a magnifying glass where you can see the details of his love and his mercy and care for you? Magnifying him two times, five times, ten times, one hundred times than you first knew him. Because you have to ask those honest questions, folks. 
We're not here. We're, we're not playing games here. Please ask those questions because the succeeding verses in real life will crush you if your theology, if your understanding of God is not securely fastened to your heart. What other observations do we notice next? By the way, you'll notice that I'll be jumping from verse here and there and that's just me. You know, they're, they're, these are random observations. So there is crying. There is day and night crying. In fact, there is crying for help. This psalm, this song is sung with raw grief. The psalmist is experiencing overwhelming trouble. It says wave after wave. God's wrath swept over him, completely engulfing him. He is at the lowest pit in the darkest depths. And it seems like God put him there. He has no more strength. He is close to death. Even his closest friends have been taken away from him. Can you see that? In this psalm, read it again when you come home. Other observations. You know the word cry and the word dark is used three times each in this text. So this guy is surrounded by darkness. This psalm has all kinds of despair, folks. As you can see, it. see? As you can see. In fact, this psalm doesn't end with him saying something like, at the end of the day, but God, I will praise you anyway. It doesn't say there like some of the Psalms do sometimes. This Psalm ends with him saying that darkness is his closest friend. What a depressing ending. I don't like sad endings. You ask my wife, you ask my children when we watch the movie. I hate sad endings. I don't like sad endings. I like happy endings. I'm not going to sing that song again. Another observation. So, folks, this is a song. And the psalmist is singing and praying and crying and singing and praying and crying at the same time. His song, his prayer request. His cry is a desperate cry for help. But help doesn't seem to come until he asks God out of despair, Why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? At first I said, Whoa, can you do that? Can you question God? Can, can, can you question whether he can, what he can do or what he cannot do? Right. You would know what I'm saying if you come from a culture or even a church or religion where you grew up and you were taught not to question God. Because that is sacrilegious. That's blasphemous. Even if, it was, even if it was not a hard and fast rule for many churches, it was an unspoken word or with some sort of church language. They, uh, they would passively, aggressively tell you not to question or 
feel any doubt. He is God. He rules. His judgment is perfect. He does what pleases him. So don't question God. People with this view of God will tend to suppress their emotions. Um, they will hide their feelings and it's possible they will be turned off. Right. Or even move away from God. Yeah, if someone tells you that you have to set aside your emotions when you read God's word or when you are discerning God's will, will, will you give them the link to our podcast Cause so, so, so they can listen to what... What, what's being preached in these psalms? Because the psalms are full of emotions. Yes. Do you understand why, why, I'm, why, why it is important to have good theology? Yes. Why it's important to be securely fastened by good understanding of God? Do you have a good understanding of Christ Jesus, the Savior who loves you and gave up his life for you? You have to have a high view of God. Yes. There's no reason to doubt or question his love for you. But of course, you can always ask a question in all honesty. Why, Lord, do you reject me? Hide your face from me. Because really, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I'm lost. I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I'm so many things going on. I'm lost. I realized I, I drifted away. Now I don't know where I am. I don't know your will. I'm stuck. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You're lamenting because you may have been praying and praying that this illness would go away, that healing would come, that there would be relief somehow from pain, from discomfort. You've been lamenting because you are like one without strength and your life draws near to death. You've been going to the doctor and they, they too are uncertain what to do. You don't know what's going to happen. Or you may be in that season of your old age where mortality is as real as it can get. And perhaps if you're a spouse or a parent or even a son or a daughter caring for your loved one or loved ones, you feel helpless yourself. You're at a loss, stressed and distressed from coming alongside your loved one. Why aren't you answering my prayer, Lord? You may be lamenting because you're overwhelmed. The demand of your job is too much. You, you need this job to support your family and to pay your bills. But it's really tiring. And you're a single parent. You come home. You still need to attend to, the, to your baby. Help the other children with school. Do the chores. Cook their meals. And it's just difficult. Or you don't have a job. And there are household needs and you're the head of the family. Lord, I'm stuck. Is there something wrong, Lord? Are you hiding something from me? 
You're lamenting because sadness and loneliness has set in. Your closest friends or a family member has left you. you they, they have either died or they have abandoned you. Or there's a miscarriage. Or there's rejection. Or there's betrayal. You have this feeling of social isolation. Perhaps because of a language barrier. Cultural differences. Discrimination. Or even a stigma. Young, young people, listen. You may be in school and... and you don't curse, you don't drink, you don't smoke, and this has made you the object of ridicule for them. How do you remain faithful as you negotiate this, this process, this lament? You have a clinical diagnosis of anxiety disorder or a persistent depressive disorder. Perhaps not you, but a loved one or loved ones. It's dark and you can't seem to find a good step to move forward. Or you're lamenting because there's sin and you know it. But at the same time, you cannot let go. You're afraid. You don't know what's going to happen if I trust and obey. Or perhaps you know what's going to happen. So you cling on to that sin. You pray for a spiritual breakthrough, but it's not as easy as can be. It's not that easy to obey. And you're stuck. You feel your faith is not strong enough. And you're confined and you cannot escape. Your eyes are dim with grief. Are you rejecting me, God? Are you hiding your face from me? How about us inspire family? As a body, do we have a lament as a church? Pastor Phil mentioned in his introduction to the Psalms that these Psalms before are, sung, are usually sung in the assembly of God's people. As a church community, when was the last time we lamented together or prayed in lament, sang a song of lament together? We have tragedies that happen to our cities, our country, other countries. We have oppression, injustice, violence, disunity, corruption, wars. Persecution, sin, rejection of the gospel. Things that break our hearts, folk. But we deny ourselves of lamenting. Is it because these are happening outside of the walls of Inspire Church? Well, even within the walls of Inspire Church, sometimes we're not aware of those who come in to our small groups. To our Sunday worship team. We assume that they come to celebrate. And they want to have a glorious experience. So we give it to them. We high five them. We play some energy music. We tap them on the shoulder. See you next time bro. 
only to find out they just wanted to sit down and lament because it was a sad week for Mr. Jones. This was his first time at church and his wife just passed away a week ago. We have become insensitive of those who cannot sing. Because their hearts cannot celebrate. You see? What would it look like for us to sing for them? What would it look like to come alongside them in songs of lament? What would it look like for our church to sing songs of lament once in a while? Just my thoughts. Just my thoughts. There was a time when I came to church with a heavy heart. <clears throat> I remember it was a communion Sunday. Um, I was glad to be in the house of the Lord. I smiled and greeted and talked to some of you. I was glad to be with you, but it was not well with my soul. I was grieving. I was angry. I was resentful. I was hurt really bad. Really bad. And I couldn't shake it off. I talked with Papa Phil. Bless his heart. I said, Papa Phil, I, I, I can't take communion. I cannot desecrate this table. I could not even bring myself to sing. But when I was sitting down, the worship team was singing. Behind me was a gentleman. He was singing, and I can hear him sing. He was singing for me. When I could not sing. And whoever you are, please don't raise your hand because you are Clearly out of tune, my brother. <laughs> but you sang for me. You really did sing for me. <clears throat> you sang for me where you sang for me where I could not sing. That brought me joy. That brought me joy. So thank you, brother. Whoever you are, thank you. Folks, never underestimate your presence in the congregation. You may be a first-time guest, or you may have been coming here to inspire for a few times. You, or, or, or you may think that you don't have a part, or you're not Christian enough to be noticed. Can I say something? Your mere presence blesses the whole assembly. That's true. It's true. The Lord delights in the assembly of his children. When we come together in Christ's name, your presence blesses the Lord and blesses the assembly. Come to church, guys. You don't know how much it blesses people. 
Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Can I tell you something, too? I've been telling you a lot of things. <clears throat> and, and me and the Lord, we, we've had these conversations many times. Believe me, it's okay to speak up to the Lord. It's okay to ask questions because God can take it. He can take it. He can take our anger, our doubts, our bitterness, our complaints, our worries, our jealousy, our lies, everything. He can take it. If you look at the cross, that's where he took every abuse, every anger, every lie, every sin. He took all of that with him, in him. In fact, God will help you give all of this mess that's in your heart to him. He will help you. He would rather have you go to him than go to somewhere else or to someone else. He would rather have you go to him than to abuse alcohol or to drugs or to bad company or even to good company where they don't really know what they're talking about. He will help you go to him. And that is why he gave the Psalms. He wants you to come to him. And not just come to him in adoration and praise and joyful worship. But also come to him in your distress. In your desperation. Come to him with your fears and anxieties. Come to me all of you who are weary and burdened. Isn't that what Jesus said? Point number one. The lament experience. Don't subdue your lament. Go through it. Experience it. Most importantly, bring it to God. Ask questions. And that brings me to the second point. More questions. I promise you this, is, this will uh, come together in the end. Hang in there. Second point, the rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions are questions with obvious answers. The answers are obvious. Notice verse 10 to 12. And you know what the psalmist is doing here? He's cross-examining God. But really the answer is obvious. The psalmist asks God rhetorical question number one. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Obvious answer. The dead cannot see you. The dead cannot see your wonders, God. Why would you show your wonders to the dead? They cannot see. They cannot experience your wonders. They're dead. Rhetorical question number two. Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Obvious answer. No, they cannot praise you, God. Because their spirits are down. In fact, they're, sp they're spiritually dead. How can they praise you? Rhetorical question number three. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Obvious answer. No. No, God. The dead cannot declare your love and faithfulness. And finally, rhetorical question number four. Verse 12. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness 
or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion or in the land of forgetfulness? Obvious answer, no, God, they can't see in the dark. And in the land of forgetfulness, where the dead cannot remember, where the dead are forgotten, they cannot know your righteous deeds. In essence, the psalmist is see, saying, God, I'm in this place right now. This dark, forgotten grave, I want to praise you. I want to tell you of your deeds of righteousness. I want to declare your love and faithfulness, but I cannot see. I cannot. How can I, when I'm being trampled to the ground, deserted, I'm paralyzed, I'm already in the grave, how can I tell of your wonders if I'm dead, if I'm in the grave? God, unless you do something, I'll be stuck in this lament. Unless God does something, we are going to be stuck in our lament. And the Lord did. The Lord did something. Thus, there is hope. Short and sweet, point number two. Praise the Lord, point number three. The hope in lament. The Lord did something. Listen. The Lord did it. Past tense. Done. The psalmist, the sons of Korah, the orphan children of Korah, despite their parents' rebellion, God has spared them. He saved them. And they grew up to be the authors of this psalm. To be included in the best-selling book of all time, the Bible. Folks, Psalm 88 has their names written in the book of life. Can you imagine that? And the first stanza of their song declares their hope. It has always been in the beginning. Lord, you are the God who saves me. The Lord did something. He engraved hope in the heart of the psalmist. And the Lord himself became the hope in their lament. Hope that says if God can spare them from being swallowed by the ground. From death. What can he not do? He is God. He is Lord. You are the God who saves me. That is the hope in lament. God is the hope in your lament. He has always been, even in the beginning, Lord, you are the God who saves yeah. me. Yeah. Lord, Jehovah, yeah. God, Elohim, yes. who saves me, Yeshua. Did you know that Jesus' native Hebrew Aramaic, Aramaic name was Yeshua? The God who saves. There are some interesting parallel experiences between the psalmist and the experience of the Lord. And I hope you, I, I hope you notice this in, in this psalm. I'm going to read again some portions of Psalm 88. And I want you to imagine some scenes leading to the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay? Yes. And you tell me 
if the similarities of their lament, the psalmist and Jesus, if their similarities are valid. The psalmist, verse 3, the psalmist laments, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. Jesus' lament, he faced many adversities as he proclaimed the gospel. The physical, emotional, and mental stress, the difficult task of bringing the kingdom of God to people, he faced many troubles. Although he lived sinlessly, he was falsely accused, flogged, humiliated, overwhelming trouble. His life draws near to death. Some parallels. Verse 8, the psalmist laments, you have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. You have taken from me, verse 18, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Jesus' lament, he was betrayed yeah. by Judas. Yeah. Peter denied him three times and all his friends have departed from him. Verse 4 and 5, the, the psalmist laments, I am counted among those who go down the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. Jesus' lament at his crucifixion was left to himself alone, physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted, like one without strength set apart to death. Verse 2, verse 13, the psalmist laments, May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Verse 13, but I cried to you for help, Lord. Jesus' lament, as he draws near to death, he asks and cries for help, not for himself. Listen, he cries for help not for himself, but for the people he dearly loves. He prays for help. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Verse 6, 7, 9, 14. The psalmist laments, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. So I spread my hands to you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Jesus' lament, his arms spread, ready to receive the punishment, the wrath of God towards sin that he never committed. Sin that we committed, all our mess, all our lies, our brokenness, our anxieties. Graciously, he took it all. He painfully, lovingly, mercifully took it all. And for a momentary separation from his father, the son of God laments. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are you seeing this, guys? Yeah. Is it possible that we're seeing a glimpse of the details of Jesus' lament in this psalm? Even just a glimpse because we know there's so much agony in his earthly life. Oh, how he loves us so. This is such a great way of pointing us back to Christ. And how the gospel, the good news answers all of our woes. 
and brings hope to our despair and light to our darkness. How Jesus ultimately took the greatest darkness, our sin, through his death. Praise him, praise him, praise him. And we're about to close. Can I call on our amazing worship team? Our psalmists, our musicians. Thank you so much, guys. You may be here with a heavy heart. And there was a moment when your heart, or, or, or there was a moment where your heart was heavy. And probably it's not anymore. Or it just went away. But the sting remains. There's a sting that remains. It's embedded. Once in a while when you put pressure on it, it stings again. And you cry and you lament. And that's your lament experience. Don't subdue it. Don't subdue your lament. Go through it. Experience it. There is always a lesson behind it. The Apostle Paul himself had a thorn in his flesh, which God did not remove so as to keep him from being conceited. A thorn in the flesh. Bring it to God because that's the lesson. The lesson is bring it to God. Ask questions. Know more about God and his ways. It's an opportunity for us to know more about God, to know more about his ways. Ask the rhetorical questions, which you'll find obvious answers. There's nothing really you can do unless God does something. And he did. He did. He sent hope. The hope in lament, this hope is the Lord God who saves us. This God, this Jesus, yes, yes, you can depend on him. He gave up his life for you. But you know, you, you guys know that his death is not the end, right? Amen. His death is not the end because on the third day, the unimaginable happened. The Lord, the God who saves, Yeshua, Jesus arose from the dead. And if he defeated death, the darkest enemy of mankind, what can he not do for you? For you. Do you believe that? There's another word for belief. It's trust. Do you trust in that story? Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe, 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 trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, but you will be saved. If you believe this Jesus, if you trust this Jesus, this Jesus who lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and that he lived that perfect life, this perfect life for you, 
If you believe that you have sinned against God and you have repented and you have accepted this Jesus' forgiving work on the cross for you, if you have trusted in this Jesus to take your unrighteousness in exchange for his righteousness, then you are saved. This is the gospel. This is the good news. He is risen from the dead and so are you. If you are alive in Christ, then showing His wonders, praising Him, declaring His love, declaring His faithfulness, and constantly recalling and remembering His righteous deeds should be evident in your new, risen, beautiful life. Should be evident. Even in the midst of lament, hope is evident because you have been raised from the dead. Can you check your life? Can you check your life? Is there hope grounded in the God who saves? Or is there a problem with belief, with trust? You see, believing is not really complicated. You don't really need anything to believe. God has provided everything. And you take it, you accept it, you grasp how wide and how long, how high, how deep is the love of Jesus for you. He does not require you to know everything or to do something for Him. You do not need to prove anything to Him. You don't need to impress Him. Did you know that He is already impressed with you? He created you in His image. You are impressive to Him. You have so much potential. Genesis 1. There's so much potential. You are His creation, His masterpiece. Yes, you are messy. Amen. We are messy. But we are worth dying for. We're worth dying for. He will not love you less if you know little about the Bible and he will not love you more if you know more or perform more he loves you and his love is unfailing it's a beautiful word his love is unfailing that means that when you come to him he will never fail you he'll never reject you he'll never fail you And that is Jesus' call for you. And I pray you will respond to Jesus. From despair to dependence on Jesus, there is hope, folks. Oh, yes, there is hope. Hang in there because in the end, Revelations 21 says, He will wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. No more allergies in this pulpit. For the old things have passed away. 
He says, I am making everything new. Can we let this be our story, church? Can we tell this story to others? Amen? As we get ready to dismiss, I'm going to ask the production team, if you could put that first verse from the psalm up, Psalm 1, I think it was 88.1, O Lord, God of my salvation. Uh, and while they're kind of looking to do that, uh, I just, one of the things that stuck with me before we pray the psalm and we conclude, just as a reminder, is that <clears throat> this Psalm 1, the reality of knowing that God is my salvation, I love what Pastor Danny said, is kind of like the rope or the harness that the psalmist kind of puts on as he gets ready to dive into the darkness. And that whole psalm is diving into the darkness, diving into the pit of despair. And even Pastor Danny said, and the, the ending wasn't, didn't even feel like it was a good ending, but it was the beginning that allowed him to dive deep without getting stuck in the dark. And so this morning as we stand here and we learn to lament both individually and corporately, um, Maybe some of you are being called to dive into that darkness that you've been kind of avoiding because it feels unsafe. I want you to know that that first part of the psalm, as Pastor Danny said, makes it safe. And so, Heavenly Father, we do have questions. There are doubts. There are whys. There are hows. There are rhetorical questions. There's darkness. There's pain. There's unprocessed hurt. Some of us are even afraid to face. Maybe it, wasn't, maybe it wasn't last week, it was years ago. But this morning we just tie ourselves to you. You are our salvation. As the opening line says, oh God, God of my salvation, I cry out to you. And so I pray that as we walk out of here and we learn to lament, let us lament with our safety rope tied to our waist knowing that as we lament you are our savior jesus you've been there you've been in the pit and you've rose and so we will rise and so father we give you all honor and glory and as we leave this place let us not leave your presence let us be aware that you walk with us the rest of this week and so may we go in your love and in your peace and may your word not come back void, but may it do everything it was called to do this morning in every heart and mind in this room. And so we're careful in lament uh, to give you all honor and to give you all glory. Jesus, you have done it all. And so we lean and we rest on the cross. You are our salvation, oh God. We thank you. We honor you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.